order questions to the Prime Minister. Mr Crispin Blunt. No. Number one, Mr Speaker. Uh, Mr Speaker, last night and this morning I have been meeting with the Northern Ireland First Minister and the Deputy First Minister on the devolution of policing and justice to Northern Ireland. I have been in touch uh, with all party leaders in Northern Ireland and I am now sending to all of them and placing in the House of Commons Library my proposals for a financial settlement that is designed to make possible the completion of the final stage of devolution in Northern Ireland. We will, of course, keep the House fully updated. Our aim is a peaceful, more secure and more prosperous Northern Ireland. Mr Speaker, in addition to my duties in this House, I shall have further meetings today. Crispin Blunt. Rygate is proud to be home to 579 Bomb Disposal Squadron of the Territorial Army. Yet last Wednesday, when he was making his statement on Afghanistan, they were being told that they couldn't train until the 1st of April next year and their TA centre is under threat of closure. What effect does he think these measures will have on the recruitment and retention of these vital volunteer specialists? Mr Speaker, I made it clear last Wednesday when I made my statement uh, that uh, we would make sure that our resources were devoted to the campaign in Afghanistan. And any member of the Territorial Army who is going to go to Afghanistan in the next few months will secure the training that is necessary. As the Chief of the General Staff has made clear, the reasons that these changes have been necessary because the Army has actually recruited more regular soldiers in the last year, 9,000 extra compared with 7,000 in previous years, and that is, and that is why, that is why, with these resources being devoted to Afghanistan, we have got to focus on those people who are going to go to Afghanistan. And they will not only have the pre-deployment training, because I have answered the Leader of the Opposition on this, uh, everybody will be individually assessed who is going to Afghanistan to make sure they have all the training that is necessary. Yeah. Lindsay Roy. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Will the Prime Minister join me in congratulating NHS and Fife on their preparations for swine flu vaccinations? And can he update the House on progress for such vaccinations across the UK? M- M- Mr Speaker, it-, it is right that this House learns the progress that is being made in vaccinating those people who might be at risk of swine flu. And it is right that I tell, it is right that I tell people that for those uh, people who are both uh, at risk and those people who are health service workers, we are starting the process of vaccination immediately. And it is also right to say that we have been ahead of the world in purchasing the vaccines that are necessary and ahead of the world in making sure, ahead of the world in making sure that those people who need treatment with antivirals have it available at the earliest opportunity. I hope that there is all party support for making available these vaccinations to people who need them. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. The planned strikes at the Royal Mail will be bad for the economy and business, bad for customers and, above all, bad for all those who work for the Royal Mail and who care about its future. Will the Prime Minister condemn these strikes and join me in sending a direct message to the trade union to call this strike off? Speaker, I said exactly that last week, that it was counterproductive for there to be a strike. But I think it is right for us in this House to urge negotiation and mediation. And I think our role must be to encourage the negotiations that are taking place, to urge those to go to ACAS when that becomes the right thing to do, 
and to make sure that we do everything in our power to get a negotiated settlement to something that arises from the 2007 modernisation plan. It is in nobody's interest that this strike goes ahead. David Cameron. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Peter Mandelson said that abandoning part privatisation of the Royal Mail would be, and I quote, irresponsible, an abdication of an important commitment and would threaten the sustainability of the network. Yet five months after the bill left the House of Lords, it still hasn't come to the House of Commons. Can the Prime Minister tell us why he has allowed this appalling display of weakness? Mr Speaker, there is no commercial buyer for the Royal Mail. He must understand that. And can I also say... Can I also say... Can, can, can I also say... Can I also say this is nothing to do with the dispute? The dispute is, as I'm trying to explain to him, about the 2007 modernisation plan. In most areas of the country, the 2007 modernisation plan has been implemented. In some areas, it still has to be implemented. We must encourage all those in the postal services to go ahead and implement it. We, the government, have made possible $1.2 billion in loans for that to happen. And let us urge from all sides of the House the negotiation and mediation that is necessary to avoid an unproductive strike. Mr Speaker, what the Prime Minister has just said is complete nonsense. He didn't stop the bill because he couldn't sell the Royal Mail. He stopped the bill because he couldn't sell it to his own backbenchers. Last week he was telling us what a wonderful time it is to sell the tote, to sell the Dartford Crossing, to tell the Channel Tunnel Rail Link, the student loan book. Everybody knows the reason he dropped this bill is that his backbenchers won't support it. Just for once, why doesn't he admit that? Mr Speaker, we have rightly so, and it should be acknowledged, announced a disposals programme for all the assets that I mentioned last week, and we will go ahead with that. But what I have to say to him is, this is nothing to do with the dispute at the moment. The dispute is about the 2007 modernisation plan, and he himself had a minister say yesterday that he didn't know whether if a Conservative government came into power, they would be able to sell the post office either. David Cameron. Our view... Uh, the Prime Minister gesticulates. Our view is very clear. Bring forward the bill and we will support it. Why hasn't he got the guts to do that? The fact is, this Prime Minister is incapable of giving a straight answer to a straight question. And by the way, he says, he says there is no connection between the strikes we see and the weakness he showed in withdrawing that bill. Well, does he agree with me that since the government abandoned part privatisation of the Royal Mail, union militancy has actually got worse? Speaker, as a result of the modernisation plan, 40,000 jobs have gone in the Royal Mail. He may wish to seek to bring the industrial relations of the Royal Mail into the political arena in the way he's doing. But I say to him, I say to him, it would be far better if the Conservative Party and other parties encourage there to be negotiation and, if necessary, arbitration on this matter. I repeat to him, the 2007 modernisation is at the heart of this dispute, and that is what's got to be moved forward. Already large numbers of jobs have had to go as part of that. And I say to him also that the, uh, the bill that came before this House is nothing to do with the dispute. David Cameron. The Prime Minister says we mustn't bring this strike into the political arena. The fact is it is in the political arena, not least because the communication workers pay half his bills. The Prime Minister keeps saying there is no connection. 
opposition must be heard. The Prime Minister keeps saying, the Prime Minister keeps saying there is no connection between this bill and the action that we are seeing from the trade union. Yet his own business minister, the member for Wolverhampton South East, said yesterday in the House of Commons, since the government said we would not proceed with the bill, we've seen a return to the destructive pattern of industrial disputes. So even his minister says there is a connection. Isn't it the case that this trade union can sense weakness and they see weakness in this Prime Minister and this government? No, Mr. Speaker. He, he can. M- Mr. Speaker, I would have thought that a Conservative opposition would be trying to make sure that this strike did not take place. And I would have thought that they would be saying that people should negotiate and there should be arbitration if necessary. And I would have thought they would have repeated with me that this was a counterproductive strike, but it could only be resolved, but it could only be resolved by proper negotiation and arbitration. And I would urge him to reflect on his comments as to whether anything that he is saying is making it easier, easier for us to solve what is a difficult dispute. David Cameron. The way to stop these strikes and the way to stop this militancy is to show some leadership, some backbone and some courage. Are we, are we really going to spend another six months with a Prime Minister who cannot give a straight answer, who cannot pass his own legislation, who sits in his bunker, not even able to decide what sort of biscuits he wants to eat. Doesn't he understand that stopping these strikes takes some courage and leadership? And isn't it clear he's got none of that to offer? Mr Speaker, this party has been wrong on every issue affecting the British economy. They were wrong on the nationalisation of Northern Rock. They were wrong on the rescue of the banking system. They were wrong on tackling unemployment. They were wrong on helping people being protected against mortgage repossessions. They were wrong on the fiscal stimulus. They were wrong on international cooperation. On every economic issue, they have not shown leadership at all. They've been wrong on recession and they're wrong on recovery. Rosie Cooper. Thank you. Thank you, Mr Speaker. May I begin by thanking the Prime Minister for um, meeting with some West Lancashire residents and discussing their issues. They at that time told him about the failure to develop a town centre in Skemmersdale, uh, transport issues such as the um, Ormskirk bypass, really important local issues. Would you agree that we must continue to invest in people and communities, uh, delivering such services, aiding regeneration and growth and not cutting services? That should not be on the agenda today. Well, I'm grateful to Honourable Friend that I was very pleased to visit her area in the last uh, few days and talk about regeneration in our area. And I did appreciate the opportunity to meet the West uh, Lancashire residents in her constituency and talk about this challenge of regeneration for the future. We can only regenerate our economies if we invest in recovery. We cannot do so with a party that is saying all the time that we should remove the fiscal stimulus. The only way forward for this economy at the moment is to maintain the fiscal stimulus and make sure we have growth in the economy. Mr Nick Clegg. Mr Speaker, in June and then again in July, I asked the Prime Minister whether he'd do the right thing and break up the biggest banks. Yesterday, the Governor of the Bank of England also repeated his view that the banks should be split up. So is the Governor of the Bank of England wrong? Mr Speaker, the reforms that we're bringing into the banking system will include greater greater cooperation competition in banking. 
and we will have a judgment from the European Commission very soon that we are supporting that will allow more competition in British banking. As for the restructuring of the banking system, as to whether there should be investment banks on the one side and retail banks only on the other side, he's got to remember that Northern Rock was effectively a retail bank and it collapsed. Lehman Brothers was effectively an investment bank without a retail bank and it collapsed. So the difference between, the difference between having a retail and investment bank is not the cause of the problem. The cause of the problem is that banks have been insufficiently regulated at a global level and we have got to set the standards for that for the future. And we'll be doing that at the G20 finance ministers in a few weeks' time. Nick Clegg. But Mr Speaker, the basic failings which let the banks bring this economy to its knees are still in place. In fact, it's worse than it was before. The banks are increasingly operating like a cartel. They're underwritten by the taxpayer. They have fewer competitors and they're now paying themselves eye-watering bonuses while the taxpayers who bail them out are losing their jobs. Absolutely. Now, if he won't make up his mind about splitting up the banks, will he at least agree that as long as these banks have got a blank cheque from the taxpayer, it is right to also consider imposing an additional tax on their profits? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I'm afraid he's wrong, he's wrong on both counts and, and wrong again. The, the, bas the basic fact is that we expect that when we have completed the restructuring of the banks, the taxpayer will benefit financially from it, not lose money. His assumption that somehow we are going to lose money is wrong. We are determined to make money out of this. The, se the second thing about the restructuring of the, of the banks themselves, there will be competition regulations that will require the competition that is necessary in the banking system. But if he's telling me the situation is worse than it was last year, last year the banks in Britain threatened to collapse entirely. We have restructured the banking system and we will continue to do so so that it serves customers properly. And I hope, I hope that he, unlike the Conservatives, will support our measures to stimulate the economy. Paul Flynn. Why should our brave soldiers be asked to put their lives at risk in order to re-elect the corrupt thief Karzai? Mr Speaker, I do not accept what, what, what he is, is saying. We, we have an electoral process in Afghanistan that has revealed that where there is fraud and where there has been malpractice, there has to be a new election. And we have an election process in Afghanistan that despite the fact that the Taliban insurgency tried to prevent an election taking place, had millions of people voting. Our job is to help the infant Afghan democracy, and that is what we will continue to do. And I think you'll have seen from the comments from President Obama, from all the European leaders yesterday, that we are determined to do what we can to support the security during that election period and to make sure that by training the Afghan forces themselves, our troops can eventually come home. Paul Rowan. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Spring Hill Hospice in my constituency last week celebrated its 20th anniversary. I'm sure the Prime Minister will want to join me in congratulating Margaret Gagan and others on the work they've done. However, hospices are struggling in the recession due to a dwindling fundraising. What additional help can the Prime Minister offer to the hospice movement? Yeah. Well, 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 Mr Speaker, I do understand the work of the hospice movement and I have been obviously in contact with many people who work in the hospice movement and tried to help myself. Equally at the same time, we are trying to give the hospice movement more money to enable them to do their job and we are looking, we're looking at what more we can do in the future. I understand and want to thank his constituents for the work they do that this is an area of uh, healthcare that has not had the resources it needs in the past. 
that will need greater support in the future, and we will do what we can to support uh, a movement that gives dignity pe to people in the last years and months of their lives. Lynn Jones. Will, will the Prime Minister commit all government departments and government-controlled organisations to reducing their greenhouse gas emissions by 10% by the end of 2010? After all, what chance have we got of achieving challenging targets for later years if we don't take this opportunity now? Well, she is absolutely right that government departments have a responsibility to play. So do all public organisations, and I know many commercial companies want to do it. But there can be no substitute either for an agreement in Copenhagen. Uh, and if we do not get an agreement in Copenhagen, uh, then the world will drift backwards, not move forwards. So I am determined to work with other leaders over the next few months and to go to Copenhagen to make sure that we can make progress at this vital time. And I believe that there is support on all parts of the House for doing so. Mr Graham Brady. Yeah. Why should my constituents pay more tax so that his can have their council tax frozen? M Mr. Speaker, Mr Speaker, the purpose of uh, devolution devolution, whether it is to Scotland or to Wales or to Northern Ireland or to London, is to allow those people in those areas who are represented to make the decisions that affect their lives. And if they make these decisions by doing one thing, it is the cost of their ability to do other things. Jackie Smith. Over the last month, I've been able to visit every Sure Start Children's Centre in my constituency and hear the parents and children's wishes for the future of those centres. One of the children wished that his centre could get a rabbit. One of the parents wished that every child was able to achieve their potential. But many parents are fearful about the plans of the party opposite to cut support for their children. What will my right honourable friend do to ensure that their wishes can be fulfilled but their fears won't be realised? This allows me to thank uh, the, uh, the, the member for everything that she had done to make possible Sure Start in the first place. And I think all members of the House will acknowledge that Sure Start has been something that has been pushed forward in the last uh, 10 years. There are now 3,000 Sure Start centres across the country. Our aim is 3,500 Sure Start centres. That means roughly there are five or six in every constituency of the country. Uh, and I would say uh, to those people who are thinking of cutting the Sure Start budget, they are making a grave mistake, both with the education and the uh, learning of young children, with the needs of their parents and with the stability of these communities. Uh, we will keep the Sure Start centres. I'm afraid the other party wants to cut them. Mr Michael Moore. Yeah. Mr Speaker, it's nearly 30 years since the Conservatives decided that pensioners did not deserve the same annual increase in their incomes as people who were in work. Yeah. Does it not pain him that after 12 years of a Labour government, pensioners are being told that it may still be six years before the earnings link is restored? Yeah. Mr Speaker, as a result of the other measures we are taking, pensioners have received more than an earnings link would have granted them because they have got the winter allowance, they've got the free television licences, they've got the national concessionary bus travel, they've got the pension credit. And this year, even although inflation is around zero, the pension will rise by 2.5%. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Could I welcome the fact that plural plaques victims in Scotland and Northern Ireland have been promised the right to compensation? Can I ask the Prime Minister what he's going to do for the plural plaques victims in England and Wales? I, I'm, grateful, I'm grateful to him, and I offered to meet a, a delegation of those members of Parliament concerned about plural plaques uh, yesterday, and that I will do in the next few days. Mr Peter Bone. 
Mr Speaker, in 2005, Tony Blair surrendered Mrs Thatcher's EU rebate. Next year, we will be paying £4 billion more to the EU than we did last year. Is this A, because we want to be seen as good Europeans? Is it B, because we want to subsidise French, Spanish and Irish farmers? Or maybe, or maybe, is it C, the price we have to pay so that Tony Blair can become El Presidente of Europe? Mr. Mr Speaker, it was a negotiated settlement because we are part of Europe and 60% of our trade with, with Europe, 3 million jobs depend on our membership of the European Union, three quarters of a million companies trade with the European Union. And I, I, would, have thought, I would have thought that at this particular time, when we need an export-led recovery, and that will include trading with the rest of Europe, the party opposite, instead of disparaging our membership of the European Union, should be saying that it is an absolutely important element to the economic future of our country. Jim Dobbin. Yeah, Mr Speaker, yeah. I need to declare a, a personal interest in the subject matter of this question. Um, the Prime Minister will be aware of a report that was launched this week by Diabetes uh, UK that indicates that um, up to 7 million people have contracted pre-diabetes, um, which makes them 15 times more likely to develop diabetes type 2. What can the government do to encourage our, our communities to eat uh, uh, more healthily uh, throughout the, the coming years and to try and prevent uh, this very serious illness? First of all, let, let, let me say our, of our proposal to deal with uh, type 2 diabetes, is to offer uh, adults between the ages of 40 and 74 an assessment of the risk of developing it. And that will be a major means by which we can both identify the disease, uh, help uh, uh, people uh, get onto better diets, and deal potentially with kidney uh, failure as well as diabetes. Uh, there is a nationwide drive to deal with the issues that he has raised of obesity. Uh, a key factor is, of course, uh, uh, type 2 diabetes. And the Change for Life programme that was set up by the former Health Secretary, now the Home Secretary, is one of the means by which we can do that. And I hope we can publicise the existence of that for everybody who is a diabetes sufferer. Mr Peter Robinson. Mr Speaker, can I welcome the Prime Minister's decision to publish his proposals uh, for funding of policing and justice in Northern Ireland, uh, setting aside how he intends to assist in dealing with uh, foreseeable but inescapable pressures would the Prime Minister give us uh, his views in how the Government will assist if unforeseen emergency circumstances uh, arise so that the Northern Ireland Executive would not have to raid its budget for health, education, housing and other critical elements of our funding? Let, let me first of all uh, praise uh, the First Minister for Northern Ireland and the Deputy First uh, Minister for the way that we have uh, discussed all the issues that will affect the devolution of policing justice. Let me also praise all the party leaders in Northern Ireland whom I have met to discuss this uh, and thank all those who have been involved in, in meeting uh, uh, me and others to discuss how we can progress devolution of policing and justice. This is the final stage of the devolution settlement for Northern Ireland and this uh, stage must be accompanied by a financial settlement that makes it possible for Northern Ireland to address its security and policing needs. Uh, we have made uh, provision in the letter that I have sent, and I believe that the Opposition now has a copy of the letter as well, and the Opposition parties will have it available. We have made provision for the reserve to be available if there are uh, uh, exceptional security needs that arise uh, uh, in any one year. 
We have done so this year because of what happened uh, with the killing of uh, soldiers and the killing of uh, PC Carroll. Uh, we will do it in future years if such an emergency or difficulty arises. Uh, and in the letter that I've sent uh, to the First Minister and the Deputy First Minister, I, I've made that clear. A secure Northern Ireland is the key uh, to a more prosperous Northern Ireland, and we will take no risks with the security of Northern Ireland. Ronnie Campbell. The big yeah, question. Yeah. Uh, the, big question. the capitalist system and the banks have made a gigantic mess, not only of the world economy, but our economy as well. So why is it, Prime Minister, that the public service, the pensioners, the poor, and the working-class people of this country have got to pay for it? And will he ensure that the next Labour government will do something about the banks and it'll never happen again. Mr Speaker, the reason we took action on the banks was not to save the bankers, but to make sure that the ordinary people's savings and their jobs and their mortgages and the businesses on which jobs depend were secure. And there is not one saver that has lost money as a result of the failure of a British bank to make, do, uh, to make good its promise that they would pay money to people who are savers. But equally, he is absolutely right. The banks have failed us in many ways, and that is why we are, that, that is why we are making the reforms that are necessary. But I have to tell him we have got to do these changes globally to make them work. Otherwise, banks will just move from one country to another. We've got to create a system of remuneration that has global uh, implications for all banks and is not just done by one country and we've got to make sure that the banks are again lending the money that is necessary for industry and for homeowners in the future and that's exactly what the policy of the government is. Yeah. Gray. Yeah. Uh, Mr Speaker, the Prime Minister has often emphasised uh, how important it is that all of the participants in the forthcoming vitally important Copenhagen talks should be ready to compromise in order to achieve consensus. <coughs> Will you tell us uh, which particular British principle he's ready to compromise how about the third runway at Heathrow? <laughs> Mr Speaker, uh, first of all, uh, aviation emissions will come within a total uh, of emissions that have got to be met. We have said that if, if we can get a climate change agreement and Europe is able to sign up to it, we will go to 30% emissions instead of 20% emissions. So we are prepared to go further in the level of emissions that we will agree to if we can get a global agreement. So far from not being ready to compromise, we are ready to go further if we can get an international agreement. And I hope, instead of criticising us, he will support us in these negotiations. Gordon Banks. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Will my Honourable Friend uh, make a commitment that he will do nothing to make it more difficult for those women currently approaching state retirement age to secure their state pension? Yeah. Yeah. Mr Speaker, I think it's absolutely remarkable that a, a, a political party can say it's going to tell people in the 50s that they've got to retire earlier when at the same time they're insisting on giving the richest estates in this country two billions extra in tax cuts. They should be ashamed of themselves. The Richard Otterway. The Director of Public Prosecutions recently published his interpretation of the law on assisted suicide. Whatever one's views are on this subject, will he agree with me that it is not for the public prosecutor to decide what is the criminal law of this country? Will he table a substantive motion on the DPP's proposals before this House so we can ascertain the will of the House? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the process that we have is, is right. The law is settled by Parliament. I have made my views clear on this. There have been debates in Parliament. The law is settled by Parliament. If people interpret that law, it has got to be in line with what is the decision of Parliament, and that is where I stand. Anderson. 
Thank you, Mr. Speaker. As someone who, for 20 years, was engaged with working people in Northern Ireland, can I say how much I welcome the statement of the from the Prime Minister and congratulate him and the leaders from Northern Ireland, from all parties, for the great work they've done to get us where we are. But can he tell the House of Deer exactly what we're going to do next to make sure this is implemented as quickly as possible? Well, well Mr. Speaker, I, I hope that uh, when the leaders uh, of the Northern Ireland parties take back these proposals to their parties, they will find that they command support. The next stage is, of course, for there to be a consultation with the community in Northern Ireland. That is for the Northern Ireland executive itself uh, to trigger. And I hope that in addition to the legislation passing the Northern Ireland Assembly, the community consultation will yield the ability of the Northern Ireland parties to have a cross-community vote and then to go ahead with the devolution of policing and justice. We in this Parliament, I believe, will do everything in our power to make that uh, possible uh, with legislation that would necessarily come to this House. Uh, but it is now for the parties of Northern Ireland to respond to the proposals we've made. Uh, and I think I've seen from the speech uh, this morning of the First Minister of Northern Ireland and the response of the Deputy First Minister that they are ready to move forward now that these financial proposals are agreed. Gary Streeter. Yeah. Thank you, Mr Speaker. Given that teachers' pay is set nationally, can the Prime Minister explain why Devon schools received £375 per pupil less than the national average? Will he look again at this funding formula and bring to an end this discrimination against children educated in the rural south? I'm happy to look at his question in relation to his constituency, but perhaps he would look at the bigger issue. If his party go ahead and cut education dramatically, then not just his constituency, but every constituency would be affected. And at some point, the Conservative Party have got to face up to the fact that they are ready to cut Sure Start, cut educational expenditure in schools, cut the capital building programme, cut educational maintenance allowances, and of course cut away all help for the unemployed. They've been wrong on the recession, and they're going to be wrong on the recovery. Um, the Prime Minister will be well aware of the law campaign to get employment rights for temporary and agency workers. Will he indicate when we're going to get that legislation on the statute book? A consultation period has started. I gather the consultation finishes in the next few weeks and then we will make the final decisions. Farron. The Government's cancer reform strategy states that no cancer patient should live further than 45 minutes from their nearest cancer treatment unit, and yet in my constituency, no cancer patient lives within 45 minutes uh, travelling distance from the nearest cancer unit in Preston. We, as a local community, are campaigning to bring a cancer unit to our hospital in Kendal. Would he agree to meet with cancer patients, myself and local NHS workers to make sure we get a cancer unit in Kendal as a matter of urgency? Well, I, I think the Secretary of State would be happy to meet him, but he knows that these decisions are made by local c clinicians, not by central uh, governments. I have, I have also to say to him that we have made proposals to bring diagnostic services nearer the community so that people may not in future have to travel to hospital for their diagnosis uh, and for their care, and that is something that we have proposed will be introduced in future years. But that, again, depends on our willingness to be able to fund the capital investment of the National Health Service, which I hope he will support. Order. Ten-minute rule motion. Dr John Pugh.